the first lesson I talked to you about, we talked about the squeeze of sin. Then the second thing I mentioned this morning, we talked not only about the squeeze of sin, but I mentioned to you about the fact of the strength to be yourself through God. And so tonight, as I talked to you and some of the things that were really played on my heart, I told you already, I've got Bible school going on at my church, and so their lesson tonight was on love, and I already had a lesson planned on love, but I took part of their lesson and combined it with the lesson I already had for you tonight on love. And so uh, as I was listening to some of the songs they were singing that last chorus, um, I hope as you sang that chorus and you sang it to the Lord and understood, those who went whitewater rafting, I hope you took a chance to look around you. I know as you're paddling down or wherever you were, you can't really pay attention to your surroundings. But maybe as you were out in God's creation, you had a chance or an opportunity to stop and think about the things that when he created this. The first song, I think it was, as they were singing, mentioned the fact that God created everything for him. It's not for us. I mean, yes, we have the enjoyment, but to understand he created everything for his pleasure, for his benefit. And so as I thought of that tonight, I was thinking about love. And what is God's love? Uh, and so as you think about that this evening, we're going to look at a couple different passages and go a couple different routes on this. But bear with me just a second. As I thought of this issue of God's love and his forgiveness, so many things can come to mind. Uh, I could tell you stories. I could get you up here and get many of you starting to feel sad about your life or all the problems you've had, all the things, and that's not my, uh, what I'm after. I'm trying to get you to understand God has given us such a great love, and so many times we will take that love and we'll just twist it to fit what we want. Uh, I was guilty of it in high school. I was guilty of it uh, even as a young adult. Um, some of you that were here for the spring retreat, I shared some stuff about myself, and I'm not going to go through all of it tonight, but I do want to share a couple things to get you to understand. We all have been there. Sometimes as teenagers, you look at it around and you say, nobody understands what I'm going through. You don't understand. I've done this or this awful thing has happened. And the older adults in here, the, the young adults, those who are helping as junior counselors, they've been in your shoes. They've seen some of the problems. Some of them, because of the problems in their life, it brought them closer to who God is and to understand that love that you were singing about tonight, the fact that God loves us so much, he sent his son to die on a cross. And until you're a parent, you can't understand that. How many of you ever heard your parent or had a parent or a loved one, your grandparents, aunt, uncle, somebody say to you, this is going to hurt me? See, y'all had it said to you too. And you, you think that's a bunch of baloney. Come on. How many of you think it's a bunch of baloney? Guess what? I did too. So I had two daughters. Yeah, once I had my two daughters, and even not the first year or two, I didn't quite understand that phrase. But now as they're five and six, and then from six into seven, I've got, I've got a better understanding of why my dad made that statement. Why he said, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm like, yeah, it's my backside getting that paddle. Forget it. It's going to hurt me a lot worse. You know what? As, a, as my daughters are getting older, I haven't had to spank them a lot. There's been a couple little things. But I can tell you, it tears your heart out as a parent because I also know that Scripture talks about the fact of spanking and talks about sparing the rod and what you're going to do to your child. And so I, I haven't said it to my daughters. I've been real careful not to say that because I can remember getting really frustrated with that statement and say, yeah, right, this is going to hurt you. But there's been times I have just, I've had to go in my bedroom before I go in to talk to my daughters about a punishment or something that's going to happen. And I've had to have time with God because inwardly it's breaking my heart. Uh, because when you've got your six or seven-year-old that after you're done thanking them instantly turns around and hugs your neck, 
um, trust me, it tears your heart out. It, you want, it just, it's like your heart's on the floor and they're just stomping all over it because how can they hug you after you just had to spank them? It's not that I did something. They didn't listen. I warned them. I had told them. I'd given them countless opportunities. Don't do this or else. And I told them next time it happens, you're going to get a spanking. Yes, sir. You understand that? Yes, sir. And so the next time they did it, I had to deal with it because otherwise I'm creating something in them and they say, oh, I can get away with it. And so I can tell you, love sometimes, it comes in many different forms. And so tonight we want to talk about a couple of these different forms. And as I think about God's love, it is supersized, guys. It's one of those that as I think of God's love and I understand what he has done in my life, uh, I think of this when it comes to the love that he has shown me. Love is our lifeblood of, of our bodies. If you stop and look at this string that's here, I'm going to ask, oh, why don't you come on up here? I'm going to ask you to take this string, I'm going to ask you to take it around your finger and tie it as tight as you can, okay, all the way until you're done with it. i got another one, I'll do it myself. Tie it around there. Feel anything on your finger? Starting to get a little numb, is that? Keep it there, okay? Just turn around and face the audience while we're doing this. You look at his finger, it's starting to turn a little red. Mine turned a little white. It's purple, okay? He's got the end of it, really the tip of it tied off there. My grandfather fought in World War II, and he fought. It'll be all right, I promise. Now, I'm not going to leave it on there long enough that it'll do any permanent damage. If I had put it around your neck, we'd have some issues, okay? But we're not going to do that. Hurting? Good. Pull it off real fast. Feel the blood going back in there? Tingles a little bit, doesn't it? You know what that is? That's the blood going back into his finger. As the blood's going back into his finger, there's something that, uh, he can have a seat. I'll give you something later. Thank you. As you think about that, understand this. My grandfather fought in World War II. He got shot in his leg, in his right leg, with a burp gun. I know it sounds goofy. It's a gun. It was titled that because as it made its firing, it sounded like a big, loud belch. No other way to describe it, so they called it a burp gun. My grandfather was hit with a burp gun in the Battle of the Bulge. I don't know any of you are history buffs. You know a little bit about World War II, and this was one of the largest battles uh, during World War II. He, once he got hit, his uh, buddies picked him up, hauled him back behind the line, dug a foxhole in the snow. There was about three feet of snow, laid him in this foxhole. He laid there for 12 hours. Uh, after he'd been shot in the leg. Once he'd been shot, they did take a belt off and they made a tourniquet around his leg. And basically a tourniquet is just like what this rope did to his finger. He cut the blood flow to the leg. Why? So he didn't bleed to death. He laid there in the snow and the one, one guy came to him and asked him what he wanted. He said, I'd like a cup of coffee. He's laying in the snow with a, a bullet in his leg and he said, I want a cup of coffee. I'm like, that's great. Um, <laughs> so he's asking for a cup of coffee. The guy says, that's all you want. I just want a cup of coffee. My grandfather at this point was not a Christian, and so my dad hadn't even been born. So if my grandfather had died in World War II, I wouldn't be here. He was laying in the snow, and after finally 12 hours, they came and got him. They took him to a, a, a Red Cross um, tent. They did some pre-op stuff on him, checking his leg, and then they decided they needed to ship him somewhere else. Before they shipped him, they said, is there anything you want? Yeah, I'd like a cup of coffee you never got me. So here he is laying on a gurney, and he's got uh, a bullet stuck in his leg, still got a tourniquet on. They had loosened a little bit to try and let the blood flow somewhat so the leg, if they could save it later, they could save it. But ended up, they had to saw his leg off. They cut it off just about mid-thigh right here, and he had a, a wooden leg. That's all I ever knew him with. And so I can tell you, 
I remember watching him. He got in the pool one time when I was about 12 years old. He had a pool behind his house in Florida. And so he got in this pool, and I thought, I can beat this man swimming because he challenged me to a race. I said, he's got one leg to do. wasn't making fun of him. I just knew, hey, i got two legs. I can, I can swim better than him. Man, he was like Flipper, okay? I mean, that man can fly through the water. And so I thought, this is unfair. It's the one leg. That's what it is because he's got one leg. He can go faster. And so my granddad challenged me to a race. I never had the opportunity to beat that man in a race. Uh, he passed away when I was 16. And I can remember hearing him tell stories about the war. I would love to sit and watch World War II movies with him. Because the one thing he said, and I could not understand this, I still don't understand this, I never served in our military. I thank God for those who do, the men and women that are overseas fighting for us, because I know without them, we wouldn't have the opportunity to be at this Christian camp today, guys. There are many countries out there, this is just, it's not, there's no chance. And so I have to say, I'm so thankful for him, but he made this statement, and I struggled with this statement, and I still, I can't fathom this. This is what God expects of us as Christians. He said, Scotty, He's the only one that could call me Scotty, try it and die, okay? No, I'm kidding. Um, he looked me in the face and he said, Scotty. <laughs> he said, Scotty, I gave one leg for this country. I'd have been willing to give two. What I didn't tell you, my grandfather served in World War II before the Battle of the Bulge. He actually served before Pearl Harbor. After Pearl Harbor, he lost several buddies in Pearl Harbor that died. He talked to my grandmother. They already had their first son, my Uncle George. And he said, Mert, her name's Myrtle. He called her Mert. He said, Mert, I'm signing back up. And she said, George, why? He said, I've lost all my buddies. I feel like I've got to sign up. Not only did he sign up, but he signed up for the infantry. And so he signed up for the infantry, went and fought in the Battle of the Bulge, got shot. And here he is telling me after the fact that, man, I gave one leg, Scotty. I'd be willing to give the other. I just couldn't understand that. I said, but, but why? He said, Scott, he said, so that I know everyone in America has the, the chance, the opportunity to hear about God like I did. Um, I can tell you there were some things that happened to him, some stories he would tell, just to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, because he wasn't a Christian. There were some things that happened while he was at war, some other things, some, some of his, uh, I think his sergeant, he watched get shot in the head. He watched some others that were beside him get shot and killed. Uh, he saw so many things, and at that point it started to open his eyes. But it took until my dad was 16 years old and my dad got saved that my dad then, the change in him caused my grandfather to say, hey, there's something about this issue with God. And so tonight I want to share a few things about that. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 and verse 34 through 35. It said, Love is the lifeblood of the body of Christ. Not only that, but blood is the lifeblood of us as human beings. This young man, what's your name? Adam. Adam, as he had tied his finger off, as you saw his finger start to turn purple, what was taking place? The blood had been restricted from the finger. So all the blood that was oxygen-rich was stuck on the outside of that string. So his blood was starting to tingle, starting to go numb. And what was taking place there was, if he had left that tide like that, do you know what could happen eventually if we had left that tide, say, till tomorrow or the next day or a week? Finger would rot and eventually fall off. And what could happen if it wasn't careful, he could actually cause all this to get infected. He could lose his hand. They might have to cut it off. Pretty sick when you think about it. Right, you need your hand. And I have to tell you, as a Christian, God wants us to understand something. He is the lifeblood for us as individuals. Those who aren't in this room, you're probably listening to this. I don't understand this. When Christ died on that cross, he gave his blood so that we could understand who 
in what God is to us. The fact that God sent his son, sent his child to die for all of us, even knowing the sin that we would commit. You know what? You look at me and some of you say, ah, you're a pastor. You don't understand. You're a youth pastor. You've done this. this." Guys, I have sinned. I have committed some of the most horrible things that anybody could ever think about each of your own lives. You know what? I look at my life. I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. Uh, I've done so many things. I haven't killed anybody. Uh, if I'm honest with you, was there some people I'd probably like to kill? And one of them sitting over here, David. No, I'm kidding. Um, have I ever thought some things? Yes, I've done some terrible things. And you know what? God still sent his son knowing all the sins that I was going to commit. Even after I became a Christian, I still committed some sins. I am not a perfect person. If I was perfect, I'd already be in heaven. And I'm sorry, I'm not. I've tried to do the best I can, but the only way that happens is by spending time reading God's Word. And the first thing I want you to see, John chapter 13, let's look at verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give unto thee, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. I watched you coming in and out. I watched you last night down at the uh, canteen and in the gym, and some of you out and about. Some of you as you came in, I watched some of you smacking each other, thumping each other, as like I told you I do to my teens. And that's good as long as it's all meant in love. Some of you, I could tell though, some of you are getting irritated with each other. Some of you ever been there with your parents? And that's probably some of you are glad to be at camp this week. After you've been out of school for a few weeks, you've been getting irritated with your parents, you've been getting frustrated to the point, can't wait to get out of the house. You know what? God says that people will know the Christians by the love they show one to another. You know what? It's hard sometimes to show that love to each other. It's hard to show that love to those around us, even when at times they're not lovely. Whether it's someone sitting in this room, whether it's your parents, whether it's a sibling, a teacher, maybe it's me, maybe it's uh, Uncle Paul, some of you get frustrated with, I don't understand the rules, I don't understand why they do this. Some of you that went rafting, I'm sure they had some rules today about keeping your hands and your feet and doing this and doing that. If you fill out what to do, uh, I don't know where you went rafting. If it, was it pretty quick? Was there some rapids in there? Good. Always fun. Any of you fall out? Good. Some of you got pushed out. Listen, those who got pushed out, I have to tell you, stop and think. Maybe somebody was just messing around. It's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt, isn't it? And I want you to stop and think about this. As Christians, I have a, a soccer team. The guys know I, I mess around with the guys, and I like to. I'm a I'm a jokester. I know that. Sometimes I got to be careful because the jokes can go a little too far. And so sometimes I'll get them in the, the, the middle of doing something, and then after they're done, I'll have them, I make them do push-ups and crunches, and they have to run a hill and go up and down, backwards and forwards. And sometimes I can be mean. I can be ruthless. But I have a point. I have something that I'm after. There's a prize I'm after. Because we're in a Christian school, we actually are part of the Tennessee Association of Christian Schools. And so we have a conference, and we have a state tournament. I'm after the state title is what we're after. Our team's won it the last two years, and no, it's not because of the coach. I've got players who play. And so I can tell you, those players, they love to play the game of soccer. And so the one thing I have tried to get them to understand, I can give them the perfect setup for how to pass the ball up a field and go here. I want it to go this person, cross it over, and somebody's got to get their head on the ball or a foot on that ball, walk it into the goal. You don't have to drill the ball. Just send it just a nice little push pass into the corners, and it's going to be a goal. I can give it to them. But until they do it, until they follow the directions, until they are confident with each other passing the ball, learning to talk and listen and work with each other, it's not going to happen. I look at our 
United States women's soccer team. I don't know if any of you have paid attention to that as they're playing for the World Cup right now. Um, comeback kids the other night on Sunday afternoon, man. Here they were. They were playing. It looked like they were down and out. Then they end up winning in uh, a shootout. Uh, the goalie, actually unbelievable. She's probably one of the best goalies in the world right now as far as women's soccer. And just she can be a little cocky, a little arrogant. But you know what? I look at it. She even realizes it's not about her. It's about the team as a whole. And to understand this, that team as a whole is only going to work if the team listens to each other and they flow and they mesh together, just like his finger. If we had left that tied off here the rest of the week, I can guarantee by the end of the week it's going to start turning green, probably black, and then eventually at some point it will fall off. And so as I think of that, that's what God's trying to get us to see here in John chapter 13 is the fact of cutting off the flow to a body part of ours. What's going to happen? Eventually it's going to rot off and die. And so that's the first thing I want you to see. The blood is, as far as the, the love of Christ, is the lifeblood of our bodies. Secondly, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Should be just a few books to your right. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 is where I want to go with at this moment. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth sorry nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. As you look at this verse nothing can separate us from God. I have this little bouncy ball here. I raided my daughters. I went down to their, they, there's this thing we do, and I know you can call it ignorant, whatever. Usually once a month on Sunday afternoon, we will leave church and go to Pizza Hut because they get a buffet, and so my daughters love pizza. And so we'll go there and get pizza for them. And while we were at Pizza Hut, they got this little machine that you drop a quarter in and you can bounce the ball out. I don't know why my daughters think it's such a big deal, but, hey, little things amaze them, so thank the Lord I don't have to spend a lot of money. Um, so they get a bouncy ball every time we go, and I found a couple bouncy balls I wanted to use, and so I thought, I'm going to use this because we're talking about God. Nothing can separate us from God. Once you're a Christian, you know God places you in his hand, and there's no one that can get you out. I look at this little bouncy ball, and I'm looking around the room, and I'm saying, oh, y'all are saying, oh, come on, Scott. You mean nothing can take God out of us uh, out of God's hand? Come here, sir. I don't even know who, what your name is, but come here. What's your name? Michael. Michael, you may be able to do this. I'm going to do my best to keep you from it. See if you can get that ball out of my hand. What's wrong, Michael? Come on, Michael. Come on, Michael. He's trying to dig at my fingers now. Give Michael a hand. I want you to understand something. When I look at this ball, a little black bouncy ball, and I want you to see that, you know, this represents our life. I know I'm not God. I'm not claiming to be God. But, you know, God, once we are saved, the Scripture tells us that we are placed in the God's hand. No one can take us out of His hand. It's as if I take that ball and I put it in my hand, and it's there, and it's, no one can get it out. But you know what's very interesting? Once we are Christians, God has changed us into something completely different. He's taken us and put us into something unique. Each of us are different. In this room, we've got all kinds of differences. Some of you blonde hair. Some of you red hair. Some of you dark. Some of you got dark curly hair. Some of you got straight hair. Some of you got none. Uh, 
you shave it off because of pride. Uh, whatever it is, I can tell you that God, and that's a sin, I have to tell you, I allow pride to get the best of me at times. But I also know this, God has created each of us unique. And I look at this little bouncy ball, and I understand this. God has placed me here. No one can take me out. If he had tried a little longer, he probably could have got me. He started to get my fingernails in there. I was like, hmm. Um, and they were getting there. But I also know God's going to wrestle us away. He's going to keep us so that Satan, if we focus on God, nothing can get to us. And I like to look at it even a step further. Christ is the one who has changed us, so we're in Christ's hand. And then God has a hand that just overlaps, overpowers that hand and just engulfs us. No one can get in. And so I look at it in that sense. If I had put both hands, I'm sorry, there's no way he would have even gotten there because he, he got his thumb under there, but I could twist and pop it back out. It's tough. I know my daughters, they love to do things. I'll do little things like I did with that bouncy ball, and I'll hide the ball, and then they think I've got some little magic trick that the ball ends up across the room. What they didn't realize, they're bending over over here, and I'm rolling it across the room. Where'd the ball go? They're like little dogs. <laughs> Looking all around the room for this goofy little ball. But I can tell you what. You know what? Satan's out there looking for you guys. Scripture tells us Satan's roaming around like a lion. You ever pay attention to a lion or you watch National Geographic and they show those lions just walking around ready to pounce on something? See them get down and they crouch down real low. They start pawing up through the, the tall grass and they're hiding. they got that big bushy mane if it's a male and he's hiding in that tall grass waiting to pounce on something. It's, uh, I mean, unbelievable to watch a lion attack something. And so as I've seen that a couple different times in a couple different videos, I had a friend that went over to uh, Africa, not on a safari, but basically just to go over and, and do some sightseeing and stuff. Got to watch a, a lion actually pounce on some prey and got it on video. Unbelievable footage. And you look at it and you see the fact. That's what Scripture tells us Satan's doing. He's walking around like a lion, seeking us out. He's trying to find the Christians. And you know what? I find very interesting. He's after us as Christians so much because he wants the Christians in this room to get so frustrated to say, God can't use me. Because if he keeps you down and saying, God can't use me, are you making an influence on others around you? No. That's what he wants out of you. That's what Satan's after. And so my second point, nothing can separate us from God. Hopefully next time you see a bouncy ball, you'll never think the same thing about it. Think about the fact that God holds you in his hand. Nothing can get, him, get you out of his hand. And so nothing can separate us from God. And my last point tonight as we finish up, and I go this route, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, I'm going to read to you several verses, starting in verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our lives made perfect, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. You ever get frustrated to the point where you just you say something so harsh, I hate this? My daughters, we have a thing in our house that we were real careful about the word hate. Hate's a strong word. 
Now, again, I don't buy coincidence. You can see what you do sometimes about things that happen or what takes place. I was, God bless you. Um, I was in the house today, and the girls had been playing. They got a new game uh, because of their, they had a yard sale and sold some toys. And I always let them, whatever they make off on their toys, they get to keep. They give a portion of the church, and then they get to spend part of it. So they get these little banks, and they have to divide it up. And so they had enough in their bank, and they've been wanting this game. And I said, well, once you girls raise the money, you can go buy it. Mario Kart, sorry. I grew up with Mario, and so they love Mario Kart. They've got a friend at church that has it on a DS. Daddy, we want Mario Kart for our Wii. And I said, well, you save the money, you can buy it. And so we talked about it. I had been to a store, saw they had some used copies of it. Oh, it's buy used. Why buy brand new? Because, you know, it doesn't matter. But I convinced the girls. I was like, girls, just buy a used copy. It's a lot cheaper. So I got them a used copy, and then they actually bought themselves each a steering wheel for like six, seven bucks. And so as they got it home. They've been playing it the last couple of days. Michaela and Jocelyn came up for dinner tonight, and Jocelyn was in with her mama in the kitchen helping finish, get dinner ready. Michaela and I was in the, the bedroom sitting on the one bed helping do her hair, and as I was doing that, I heard Jocelyn in the kitchen, and Michaela didn't hear it, I guess. She goes, Mommy, Michaela said that word we're not supposed to say, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking, listen, what word? And so I thought maybe she said something that no. I knew it wasn't a, a curse word or anything like that, but I thought maybe she had said something. And so I could tell Jocelyn was really hesitant. She didn't want to tell Mama because Glenn said, what's wrong, Joe? And she said, well, Mama, Max said something she shouldn't. And she goes, I, I'm hoping that she's going to tell you. So I just I kind of helped the process along. I said, hey, Max. I was brushing her hair. She didn't hear a word of what was going on out there. I said, what happened downstairs? How was the game? She said, really good. I said, anybody say anything that they shouldn't? Her eyes got this big. She, she goes, I thought you were asleep, Daddy. I was down there on the sofa. I had been studying and watching. I had been playing. I was resting my eyes. No, I was asleep. I didn't hear it. And so, anyway, her eyes, it was as if she had been caught. You know, you ever see a deer just get caught in the headlights and they're standing there just staring dead at the car? Well, that's the look on Michaela's face. And I, I said, what was said? She goes, I hate the game. And I said, oh, you hate the game. And I'm not, uh, trust me, I didn't get it. She didn't get in trouble or anything like that. But we talked to her about it. And I said, Mac, I said, be really careful. She goes, Daddy, after I said it, I told Jocelyn I shouldn't have said it. I said, well, that's fine. I said, Daddy's proud of you. And so we were done. They walk out into the kitchen, or Mac and I walk out in the kitchen, and Jocelyn and Mama didn't know that Mac and I had already talked about it. And so Michaela sits down, and, and Lynn says, hey, how was the game that you all were playing? Michaela looks at me, and she goes, Daddy and I already talked about it, Mama, and she hung her head. And I said, Mama, it's fine. I said, we've talked. And she, oh, that's fine. And Michaela goes, thank you, Daddy. And she looked across the table because you could tell. She, she was embarrassed. But you know what? Sometimes how many of us, some of you, you get frustrated with something. What's the first thing out of your mouth? I hate you. You know what? Once it's out there, you can't pull it back. Once those kids said stuff about my bald head, I said, Coach, why do you shave your head? You don't understand. Don't worry about it. And so then they said, why don't you grow your hair back? I let it grow back, and guess what happens? Some knucklehead is going to look at me and say, Coach, you know you're missing some hair up there? Thanks. I appreciate that. I comb it every day. I see the bald spot. And so honestly, to me, I'd much rather shave it because then I don't have to worry about all the stuff that you guys have to. you got to worry about blow-drying your hair. I watched one guy come in. I hope he washed his hair. It was wet. There was a girl behind him. And if you know who you are, you don't have to tell because I, I don't think he knew it. He's shaking his hair. Water was going everywhere. And she's like, come on. Uh, I hope it was water. I hope it wasn't sweat. But anyway, um, you could see it going everywhere as he was flipping his head as he came in.
But you know what? Sometimes we can get so frustrated with people, you're going to say things without thinking. I challenge you tonight, before you say anything, always stop and think, is this what God wants me to say? Is this really what I need? You know, I shared this at the spring retreat, and I know a lot of people think this is hard to, to believe, and I don't do this to try to puff me up or to get you to think, oh, come on, Scott, not everybody's like that or not everybody would do that. I shared this with my youth group. When we bought that Mustang, we've been praying that the Lord would send us a car. I actually went car shopping to buy a Nissan Versa just like Uncle Paul's. Where's Uncle Paul? He was back there. But I was going to buy one like his because I had helped him load his stuff in and out of his car a couple times. He's done uh, magic stuff for us at church for our Awana program. He's done stuff for me at school. He's come and spoke for the high school there. And so watching him load his stuff in and out of his car, I really liked his Versa. And I thought, man, I would like to have one of those. So I actually went to Tri-Cities Nissan in Johnson City. I was going to look at a used one. I would looked at it online. I had seen the Mustang. Lynn and I had talked about it. She said, well, go look at it and see what you think. Because the Nissan, the Versa was actually like $3,000 more than this Mustang. And it had almost fifteen to 20,000 miles more than what the Mustang had on it. And I remember, I was seven years old, my dad bought an 81 Mustang. I thought it was the coolest thing. Our family had a Mustang. We had four of us, me and my little sister, Kim. We'd gotten the back of that car. I thought it was so cool. We'd go to church. There was a Mustang. Well, guess what? That car became my first car. And so I just I thought there was something neat about it. So I told my wife, I said, be neat to get another Mustang because then I could start another family tradition. I could give this one to Mac. Yeah, right. She's not getting it. She'll kill herself. Um, it may not last that long, and prayerfully, the Lord comes back before then. But I also know this. When I was at Tri-Cities Nissan, I was there. We looked at the car. I looked at the, the Mustang. I looked at this one. I prayed about it. Do you know I sat out in front of their, their dealership for 20 minutes on their, they have a bench out there. God looked at me like I was a fruitcake. I don't care what he thought. I could care less. I went to, to, to him, talked about the price. I said, listen, this thing's been wrecked. There was this wrong with it. I can tell on the Carfax. I'll show me the Carfax. Um, and so <laughs> I looked at the Carfax, and there it was. There was some stuff on there. I said, it's been repoed. I said, man, you put a new battery in it. You've done this, this, and this to it. I said, I think it's a great car. I think there's, you know, I can handle a few little dings and dents and stuff that have been fixed. It's nothing big. And so I said, but the fact that it's sad, I said, sorry. I said, I'm not going to give you this, what he was asking for. I said, I will give you this amount. And I had dropped the price that he had on it almost by $1,500, $1,600. And he said, I just don't know. I said, well, if you don't want to sell the car, that's fine. So I left. Well, then I came back after looking at another dealership and saw some other cars. And I, said, I went back in and asked him. I said, so did you have a chance to talk to your boss about it? He said, yes, sir, we'll take it. And he goes, you want to sign the paperwork? I said, no, let me go out and call my wife, and we'll talk. And so I went out and called Lynn. We prayed over the phone together. I said, what do you think? She goes, honey, if you feel at peace about it, she said, I know that the Lord's given you some peace. We need a car. We've got to have something dependable because both our cars, the Jeep that I have has 270,000 miles on it. The Nissan that we traded in had 190,000 miles on it. So I needed a car where we've been doing some traveling lately back and forth to Knoxville from Michaela to the Children's Hospital. I needed a car which you count on because the last two trips to the Children's Hospital has cost me almost $1,000 between car breakdowns and having to be towed and stuff. And so anyway, it was one of those, Lord, just I sat down in there, I prayed for 20 minutes, I walked back in, and the guy goes, you all right? I said, I'm fine. I said, We're, let's, let's get the paperwork. I said, if you're willing to get it at this price. 
He hands me the paperwork. The guy signs it, gives it to me, and hands it to me. I said, now, wait a minute. That's not what you told me. I said, you told me this price. Well, when this and this is added, I said, no, sir. You said the final cost was this. And so I got up and walked out of the office. He goes, Mr. King, wait a minute. We can fix this. I said, fix it. I'll be outside. I said, so I waited outside. He came and got me. And he said, here it is. I looked at it. It was fixed. And I knew what he was going to do. He thought he could get one over on me. And you know what, as Christians, I want you to understand this. God gives us wisdom, and that wisdom is that he wants us to share his love with others. And you know what? Afterwards, he goes, how come you sat out there so long? You know what? I was buying a car, but what did I have the opportunity to do? I had the opportunity to pray, but even more than that, to witness to this guy. I told him who I was, and I said, I pray about every decision I make. I don't care what it is. You know what? Lynn and I will pray about different things. We had a missionary at the church the other night. We prayed about it. We had a, a little extra in the bank because of some things that had happened. I said, let's give this amount. It was interesting. She looked at me. She goes, how much? And I told her, and she goes, that's the same amount I was thinking. And you know what? It's very interesting to understand God wants us to share his love with others. The minute you share his love with others, you will never regret it. Guys, I have not, not once ever regretted giving my time, giving of my money, giving what God wants. And so my third point in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 through 21, God gives us unlimited love to share. And as I thought about this, there's a passage in Scripture, and I'm not going to take time because I want to finish up and, and finish this uh, tonight on this thought of love. But there's a passage of Scripture in what I was doing with my youth group, and I wanted to share it with you because in their Bible school tonight, they are also talking about love. In this passage of Scripture, I want to close with this. In Luke chapter 7, some of you in your quiet time, maybe at some other point this week or wherever, because I know they have you read certain passages, take a chance and look at Luke chapter 7, the last part of that chapter. In this, cha- in this chapter, at the end of it, there's a Pharisee that's talking to Jesus Christ. And he wants Jesus to come eat, eat lunch with him, eat dinner with him. I'm going to set the stage so you understand. Their tables were probably about as high as what this stage is. Maybe a little bit higher, but not much. It's not like a table you and I would think of. They were on the floor when they ate. They would sit down. There'd be pillows and different things. And so their tables weren't like what you and I think of a table and chairs like this. And so the guy probably has a table set up. Christ comes to his house. In the day, as far as back then, one of the things they would do, they'd wash the people who came in their house, they'd wash their feet. Because think about it, I'm looking at some of you got flip-flops on, some of you got sandals, some of you got different things. The flip-flop and sandal people, you all, think about if you've been walking in those all day. Some of you, if you went and you went on the whitewater rafting or whatever it was you did, maybe you had to hike down there and you got some dirt in your feet. You feel all that nastiness that gets on your toes. You pay attention to all that dirt and grime. Oh, jam. Ugh. Um, some of you, if I was to bend down right now and I would take this girl's foot, she's looking at me, don't even think about it. Trust me, I won't touch it, I promise. But uh, if I was to bend down and say, okay, I'm going to wash your feet, she's going to look at me and say, you're crazy. You know what? Back in this time, that was one of the, the customary things to do when someone came to your house. Clean their feet. They've been walking. Their feet are dirty. Uh, think about it. Your feet aren't that far from your food if the table's that high, okay? Uh, that's one of those, they wash their feet. They clean them. Well, guess what? This guy didn't, this Pharisee didn't wash Christ's feet. So here they are, they're eating the, the food, they're, they're in the house. This woman comes in, and as she comes in the house, she's behind Christ, and she starts weeping. She starts crying. She, the tears that are dropping from her face are falling on Jesus' feet. She uses those tears to clean his feet. Then she takes her hair and dries his feet. After that, she takes a, an alabaster bottle of ointment. She cleans his feet, or wipes that, that ointment on his feet. 
the Pharisee makes this statement says, well, if Christ was really the prophet, the son of God that he says he is, he would know about this woman. He would know that she is the, the filth of society, the scum of the earth, because of what she's done. And so Christ, you, I can almost picture this. Christ says, Simon, I have something I want to tell you. Okay, Master, tell me. I can just see Simon thinking, oh, I got him. And Christ looks at him and says, Simon, I want to tell you a story. So he tells him a parable. He answers the statement that Simon made with a parable. He did this many times in his teaching. The parable he tells is this. He says, there's two people. Stand up again. What's your name? Michael. And stand up, Adam. Michael and Adam are my two debtors. They owe me some money. Adam owes me $50. Michael owes me $5,000. I don't even want to know what you spend it on. But here's what Christ tells Simon. He says, Simon, there's two debtors. They both owe this man a sum. This one $50, this one $5,000. But neither one of them can pay that debt. I forgive you both. Which one of them is going to love their, the person who freed them of the debt more? Think about it. He is. Five, he'll be kissing my feet then, let me tell you. Scott, are you kidding me? I don't have to pay that back. No, it's taken care of, Michael. You should have seen his eyes. He's like, yeah. Adam's just like, that's 50 bucks, big deal. Adam could care less. Thank you, guys. Have a seat. Now, think about this. That's what Christ answered Simon with. He said, hey, which one of them loves me more? Which one of them loves us more? The one who has been forgiven little or the one who has been forgiven a lot? And Christ says, this woman, I forgive her of her sins. He looks to her and says, woman, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. Simon can't believe it. Who does he think he is? He's forgiven her sins too? But you know what? She was forgiven of all these sins. Can you imagine how much she loved Christ? She was willing to wash his feet and wash and dry them with her hair. Because she knew she had sinned. She knew she had made some mistakes. She was willing to, to repent and ask for forgiveness and say, you know what, I need some help. That's why she was there. I think she was desiring to know who this Christ was, the love he was showing to these people. She wanted to know that love. Do you want to know that love tonight? Some of you in this room, I know you do. I can see it on your faces. Some of you, you want to know the love of God. And so I pray this week, please meet with your counselor, meet with Uncle Paul, any of the elder uh, counselors that are here, um, even those I know that have been leading in the worship music. I thank you for their hearts. Uh, what I see, I know that the counselors, their hearts are in this, not because of money, not because of the, the, the fame. Boy, they're going to get known out in Nashville about playing at Camp Tapawingo, aren't they? No, they're here to show you the love of God, and that's what it's all about, God. Tonight as we close in a word of prayer, please think about the love that God has shown you. He's given us so much. Are you understanding that God has a supersized love for us? Bow your heads and close your eyes. I gave you three points tonight. Love is the lifeblood of the body of Christ. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And the third thing I said, God gives us unlimited love to share. And so I hope as, as we uh, close this evening that you will think about this love. Some of you, those who raised your hands yesterday and said, I'm just not sure about that, the, the knowledge of Christ. God. I'm not sure about going to heaven. I pray that you get it settled. Get it settled this week. There's no better time than even right now in your heart, guys. I pray that you would settle it with God tonight. Meet with someone. Find me. Find any of your counselors. I know they would pray with you and go over it. I'm not going to ask you to come forward tonight, but I am going to pray with you. Let's pray. Before I pray, any of you say, Scott, just quickly, I'm not going to ask you to come down. Scott, pray for me. Something you've said the last couple times, there's something on my heart. I'm struggling with something because I know several of you come to me already. Thank you. There's a couple. Slip your hand up. Put it up. Put it down. 
Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I come to you so humbled, so in awe of your power and presence. As we listen to songs before the service tonight, Lord, I am so thankful for the fact that you are a God that is awesome, that you are a God that loves us so much that you sent your Son to die on a cross, knowing the sins that would separate us from you, but also knowing this, once we believe in you, there is nothing that can separate us from you and from your love. I pray that you would help us tonight, help those that are struggling, many in this room that have lifted their hands and said, hey, Scott, there's something on my heart. Lord, I pray that you would work in their lives. Work in my heart, Lord. I know there's things I struggle with, things even with my daughter I share with them, Lord, that I have been struggling with as a parent. I pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance and know that you are God that loves us and nothing can separate us from you. Bless us now in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.